Hi, thank you for listening to this episode of Ganado Meets, a series of discussions between Ganado team members and sector leaders. I am Jotam Sherid Diakono, partner and co-head of the shipping department at Ganado Advocates. And in today's episode, we shall be looking into the importance of fish farming to the maritime sector in Malta. In today's episode, I have with me Robert Aquilina, the chief executive officer of Piscicultur Marine Damalt Limited, which operates a number of fish farms around Malta. Robert, the, the Maltese islands have a long maritime history, which actually go back to the Neolithic times. Can we say, can we consider fish farming to be part of, of our maritime tradition? Um, not, not really, because uh, fish farming as we have it today, close cycle aquaculture we call it, uh, started in about 1750, 1780, something like that, in Germany, strangely enough. Back in Roman times, there was always this idea of trying to keep fish alive, you know, so you can have fresh fish in ponds or whatever, but that's not really fish farming. Fish farming is the culture of these aquatic animals starting from an egg, you know, hatching an egg, and doing the full cycle to produce uh, a portion-sized fish. Basically, a portion size fish being being 400 gram fish, you know, depending on the market that exists. So, really, um, I would say it started way back in about 1988 in Malta, and uh, that's when they start they started with the National Aquaculture Center. The government wanted to start aquaculture in Malta. It was quite big at the time, um, so they got somebody from abroad. Professor Charles Ajus, who had been many years um, in Scotland, he was already doing fish farming there. And he started the National Culture Centre at Fort San Luchan. It's still there today. And after that, they wanted to get investors to start the project. And that's how we started in 1990. We started in 1990, came over, and uh, started putting cages and fish, and it started from there. Had they, at the time, changed the law to create an environment, a legal environment in Malta, which would enable a project such as yours to be viable and economically um, feasible? Uh, of course, at the time, uh, they wanted the project to take off. So we fell under, at that time, it was called the Malta Development Corporation. So we would be allocated uh, a portion of sea area to do this work. Um, it were new, we're the first ones here. Everything was very new. They didn't know how to go about allocating uh, areas at sea, you know, concessions, we call them today. So it was very new. And here I want to mention the firm. Your firm were the pioneers in this because they drew up the first agreement with the government of Malta that enabled us to start operating. And from then on, then other operators started to come in and things developed from there. This was the late 80s? This was uh, 90? 90. Okay. 1991. This is before the Planning Act, which started in 92. This is before the Planning Authority. There was, there was still a way of giving permits out. So you'd have a board of people coming from all the different government sectors approving the project. And mainly it was MDC approved. And then you'd go through all the different sectors. There was um, also people who were in the planning after, were on this board. 
So the project was approved in that way, and then a contract was signed with the government of Malta. So we're looking at the early 90s yes. up to now. Um, no, then uh, we're talking about the operation of Malta, how it, the, the permitting. Uh, then what happened is, then the planning authority started from 1992, the law started in 1992, By the year 2000, then they started to control development at sea, because before the year 2000, the Act only allowed them to control development on land. So in, in real terms, they started from the year 2000. They made us a number of requests. We complied until eventually now we have a full permit, which is an environmental permit. It's very difficult to obtain. We have a permit for our land base and our sea base as well. There are two different permits which are renewed on a regular basis. Uh, these permits obviously have a lot of conditions which allow us to operate, like environmental monitoring and how we have to operate our site, how we have to um, operate the farm and everything from stocking densities to production to everything. So it's very much regulated today. We also have a, another permit which comes from the Director of Agriculture and Fisheries, and that is renewable every every year, and that allows us to operate as a as a farm. So a very highly regulated industry. Exactly, Robert. Um, would you say that the experience has been a successful one? Is the business, in other words, is it has fish farming um, as an industry uh, in Malta succeeded? Yes, I would say it was very successful. You were the first. You were, we were the first, and others yeah. followed. And others, others, others followed, followed so. three or four years after. Okay. Us. We do close cycle aquaculture now. Today, in Malta, close cycle aquaculture is us and, and another farm. Most of the the, the the other farms which operate do not do close cycle aquaculture. They do uh, tuna. So um, yes, it's been successful. I have to say we've had like every business do good and. The, the bad years. It's farming as we know it. Everybody knows what farming is today. We have, we're exposed to the weather. We've had a very bad storm two years ago and uh, that has affected us because it resulted in quite a substantial loss to us. So, yes, the farming per se is successful. And how many, how we much have a lot, of, a lot of things which can affect the operation. How much fish? I was going to ask uh, Robert. Do we you, produce do you around 1,300 tons a year. Tons? Yeah. Uh, of this, we, we would export just about a thousand of these. We'd export this to Europe. Who buy our fish? Everybody buys our, our main customers are the large supermarket chains that we know. You outside know, Malta? Outside Malta, Cop, uh, Moshan, you know, these are uh, the clients we have, you know. Uh, this is, uh, is there a demand for, for our fish? Yes, there's a demand for our fish. The quality, the is, quality, yes. the quality is very good. We have a very good quality. The sea is pristine. The areas where we breed the fishes are pristine. And uh, there's a demand. There's also a local demand for our fish, which is quite strong because they prefer our fish to the imported fish, which, which comes from Turkey or from Greece. There's a lot of competition, as you can imagine, both locally and overseas. What's the percentage of fish sold locally? Well, we sell about 30%. Half? 30 30%. 30% of 20 30% of what we produce. The market is, is what it is, you know. It, it's not such a big market. But there's a lot of competition like in everything else, you know, there's a lot of fish coming from Greece, from Turkey. But everything we eat is uh, basically about 70% of the fish consumed worldwide is farmed. You know, so people have this concept, this idea of saying, I don't eat farmed animals. But if you stop to think for a minute, everything we eat is farmed. 
mean, people don't go out there shooting cows in a field or, or wild animals in, in a jungle, you know, it's finished. So everything we eat is farmed, so why not eat farmed fish? But there seems to be a little bit of, you know, there might be some, There might be some concern because of the way the fish is grown in the cages. Is, can you perhaps well, like shed any, some light on that? Like, like, like anything else, we follow strict uh, parameters, you know, when we, when, we, when we breed the fish, you know. Stocking densities, so the fish is not crowded in the cages. We're looking at low stocking densities, so the fish is... Obviously, it's not like a fish living in the wild. I agree with that, but still, it's very reasonable. And we follow the same parameters that you would use to breed organic fish, for example. We follow the same stocking densities. Um, the type of feed we give the fish, the type of feed is completely natural. There is nothing which is artificial in the feed. There's no such thing. A fish will not digest a lot of things which you can give to land animals. It's mistaken to think that a fish can digest anything. It's, it's a very, um, the physiology of fish has changed very little over thousands of years. So it can't digest anything. So we, the diet is mainly vegetable based. There's a little bit of fish meal, but it's mainly vegetable based. So they get the protein from vegetables. So it's rich in, in omega-3 and omega-6 as well, but we're interested, more interested in omega-3. Very good for the health too today. I mean, people who eat fish, its benefits have been found in eating, eating fish on a regular basis. We'll guarantee fresh fish every day of the week because it's caught locally. We just go out and catch our fish. I mean, you don't catch fish from the wild and it's not available all the time. So that's a big help to also to the local market. Um, we do not use antibiotics. People think that we use antibiotics. In the rare instance of using an antibiotic, it's used in fish of three to 12 grams or 15 grams, very small fish. So by the time the fish becomes 400 grams, and by the way, that takes about 18 months to get a fish to 400 grams. It's one of the few animals that, that is bred in captivity and takes so long to grow. You can't force feed. You can't force feed, and you can't give it hormones. You can't give it growth hormones, and you can't uh, you, you can't push push the growth of a fish. The fish is, uh, grows in that period of time. You've got a chicken; it takes six weeks to grow a chicken. It would take a few months to grow a pig. They're large animals because they are, they adapt more. So so it's quite a long a long cycle. For, for it's probably one of the longest cycles for bred animals, 18 months. Um, and they eat this natural food, which we get. It's okay, it's in pellet form. It looks artificial, but it's not. It's just these raw materials which are pressed into an extruded pellet. It's highly digestible. So they would excrete very little from what they eat, because the more you digest, the less you will excrete, and obviously what they excrete is soluble, about 80% of it is soluble. So people think that the sediment is formed under the cages, it's, it's not true. Uh, we produce phosphorus and nitrogen, which is soluble, 80% of it, 85% of it is soluble, so there's nothing. Impact on the water quality is zero. We analyze the water quality very regularly. There's no impact on water quality, so, Smell any problems with no, smell? no smell because being vegetable based, it does not have 
does not have, it's a dry feed, you know, it's a dry feed. We have stores which contain 300 tons of feed and they're, they're odorless. Now, um, the farm itself, in other words, the, the cages themselves don't create any odor, which uh, is a nuisance to... No, no, the pellets are fed, they sink, and the fish eat them. Doesn't leave no, no surface sediment, no surface film or anything. So we are very careful as well how much we feed. The idea is one, not to lose feed, and one, not to have feed falling under the cage. Not that it's not eaten in a day or two by other wild fish, because we're full of wild fish. But um, that's a little bit how we run the farm, you know? Yeah. The maritime activity, Robert, uh, which is connected with the, with the industry, um, uh, do you operate vessels or how? Yes, how we have service it? vessels. Service vessels, okay. A number of service vessels which ferry the, 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 our staff onto the cages. We, we're at a short distance from shore because we have small fish, which is in semi-protected zones, you know, we ferry, we ferry the, the, the personnel there and they're used for operations, you know, they're mainly barges with cranes uh, that can lift nets and this is the kind of operations we do when we replace nets. Obviously we fall under Transport Malta under the same regulations as all other vessels. Before we were classified under MFD, now that does not exist anymore, that classification, um, because now we've been valid as, as, as a normal registration as a normal vessel, so we have to re-register all our vessels. Um, and there's a survey carried out every year, and as normal, we will comply with all regulations. Mm -hmm. And you operate your vessels and uh, yes. keep keep them um, well maintained? Yes, we're at a short distance from the shore as well, you know, but we still have all the regulations. They apply most of the regulations still to us, although then they're small vessels. They're not seagoing vessels of a certain size either. You ex you've explained that the industry itself is not a threat to the to the marine environment it, um, in any way. Every every type of activity has some form of impact. It's, it would be wrong to say, listen, there we, for example, occupy a certain area of the sea, which is um, enclosed by a by by a by a float line, and that is the area we occupy. We avoid Posidonia um, beds, which would be underneath the cages. We try and avoid those much as possible. But the shading doesn't help the Posidonia, obviously. There's no impact on the water quality. So I would say that uh, the impact on the marine environment is minimal. There's an area on which we work, which is obviously taken up by our cages. But there's no impact. By now, we've been operating for 30 years. Anybody who's got a little bit of common sense would realize that if there was an impact by now, would have seen it and could be quantified as impact. There is, so there isn't. What's happening on the seabed perhaps is not as visible. No, but we, we, call, we, we, we monitor that by doing benthic surveys, by counting the amount of living organisms which reside in the sand under the cages. I mean, it's very, very thorough. We have a very uh, complete and thorough program which we have to follow. And they count the number of organisms living under the cages to see that we're not affecting the environment. I guess these are all spin-offs which Allura come from come the from industry. The the, no, the spin-offs. In other words, you need experts to of come course. in, uh, study the, uh, take samples from the bed, from the seabed, mm -hmm. take those samples to a lab, have them check. These are spin-offs which all 
come from from your operation. Yes, correct. Which are these? Uh, there are a lot of spin-offs. We give spin-offs. a lot of work to a lot of industries in Malta. Workshops, for example. Uh, we give work to uh, subcontractors who will do, for example, guard duties on our cages. We have a subcontractor who does that. Um, when it comes to building cages, you know, we employ people who come from the outside. There is a spin-off. There is a substantial spin-off. Divers, I guess, are... No, but we employ a lot of people as well. I mm. mean, we employ almost 40 people, direct employees there. You know, so we're looking at um, 40 people, but we have uh, also a number of subcontractors. And where is your land base? Our land base is in, in Jebach. It's limits of Meliha, Salmon, so to say, you know. And we have a, a store over there for the dry food. We have a new approved packing plant. We operate this plant because you need to pack the fish. And we have offices and uh, quarters for the stuff. It's very well run. It's, we've been there now for 10 years. Um, obviously, we have a full permit to operate that but from the planning authority. We constructed, it was a, made for us, you know, we constructed ourselves and it works very well. And how do you get the fish to leave Malta and arrive in the stores in in Italy, for example, is, a, a, are they air flown? Who's, who's a transport company, a major transport company in Malta? Okay. They come here with reefer trailers. Trailers, uh-huh. so road, road, road transport. Yes, we sell fresh on ice. Mm-hmm. Our product is sold whole; it's not processed, and fresh on ice. So it travels at zero degrees, zero to two, in these reefer trailers. And it reaches Italy in about a day. In a day? Yes. It so it does the well. crossing, the yes, ocean sir. crossing, the, the yeah. sea crossing, and then it's it 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 goes up. Yeah, they would drive. They would by by road. Yeah, by road. By road. Okay, Robert. Um uh, do you see just one one final question. Um do you see any scope for the for the industry to to grow? Uh, is this uh, is is should Malta be proud of of what it's achieved and and should we focus resources for the industry to continue expanding? Um, yes, Malta should be proud of this achievement. I mean, we started from from zero. From zero, we're pioneers in this as well because Malta, nobody knew how to go about this this thing, and we we trained Maltese people to do this work. You know, we obviously had help from abroad. Um, the industry on paper can grow, but like most other industries, you know, um, we're facing very, very stiff competition. Now, you might say, listen, competition might be something good, because at the end of the day, the consumer will gain. It is good, but if it's, if it's on a level playing field, you know, but there's a lot of competition coming from third countries, which are not EU members, who have a number of benefits granted to them by the EU. For example, I can mention Turkey. Turkey are now the largest producer of sea bream and sea bass. They produce over 150,000 tons a year. They've overtaken the Greeks. And they obviously have uh, lower operating costs than us. We have high operating costs, as you know, in Malta. As the, um, salaries in Malta have evolved over the years, it's very difficult to find people as well who do this work. You know, it's a bit the story of the farmer, you know, and nobody really wants to continue. <laughs> there is a scope for the industry to grow, yes, but the areas are very limited in Malta. The, the, the sites to operate from, you know, there's a lot of 
competition for the coast. The coast is is, is taken up. Taken up. It's it's nearly lunchtime, and perhaps you can inspire me on um, what I should be ordering um, for lunch. Um, That's an easy one. Huh? What 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 fish do you do you produce in your in your farm? Um, we, we produce gilthead sea bream, aurat, Maltese. So the sea bream is the aurat. Mm-hmm. The sea bream is the aurat. Okay. And we have the the sea bass, European sea bass, which is called the sprout. And uh, that is also... The spigola. The spigola. It's called in Italy spigola or branzino, as it's known in Italy. And it's a different fish, or uses more as the same conditions to grow. Whoever is, has the same temperature profile as us can grow this fish, because you need a certain temperature profile. In the sea? In the sea. And uh, the Greeks have this temperature profile, so... I mean, all the Mediterranean. All the Mediterranean this. in theory, yeah. yes. Yeah. There are some areas which are better than others. And Malta has this temperature profile, which, which is good, which is very good to grow fish. Which is good for those two varieties? For or? those, exactly. So that is why sometimes people say, but why don't you grow other types of fish? One, you must have a ready supply of juveniles. So you must have somebody who can supply you with the fry. And uh, the, f- the fry being the babies, the, the babies, fish. That's right. Yes. They, they arrive here in, tr- in, in trucks, live, in trailers, about two grams or three grams each. Yeah. They must have a supplier, the supply of that. And not all species have been farmed successfully. They've tried farming other species. Have you tried farming um, um, anything else? We've tried, um, we've tried using, uh, yes, another species, but it hasn't worked very well, you know, so. The Gurbel, it's called the Brown Miga. Uh, we were the first ones to bring it to Malta about 15 years ago. And uh, we've stopped doing that now for commercial reasons. Because there's a commercial reason for growing fish, you know. It's, it sounds nice to be able to do different species, but it, it, it takes three years to grow a fish. Then it doesn't remain commercially viable. Well, Robert, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, we can say that we are now very well educated on the subject and uh, i'll be looking out for your fish next time i'm uh, i'm doing my grocery shoppings thank you very much thank you i'd also like to thank our listeners for listening in and to stay tuned for upcoming episodes thank you very very much